Welcome to a special five-part podcast series on the new Treliant, sponsored by Treliant. Over this five-part podcast series, we will discuss what is new at the company and key issues that Treliant is helping to lead and define in the online training industry going forward. Over this five-part series, I will visit with Treliant CEO, John Arendez, Maggie Smith, Vice President for Human Resources, Scott Schneider, Head of Content Development. I know you will enjoy this special five-part podcast series on the new Treliant. First, a word about Treliant. The mission to transform compliance training from boring to brilliant. Treliant's award-winning training helps organizations create and maintain respectful, inclusive workplaces. Treliant's modern approach to e-learning is designed to motivate positive behavior through realistic video scenarios and up-to-date content that is interactive, easy to customize, and connects with today's mobile workforce. Treliant currently serves 8,000 organizations across industries and geographies. In this part four, I'm joined by Scott Schneider, and we look at the Code of Conduct. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode in the Client Podcast Series. Today, I have with me Scott Schneider. He's the head of content development at Treliant. Scott, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. Happy to be here. Thanks for asking. Scott, um, could you tell us about your journey in compliance? Because I don't want to say the world old timer, but you're an old timer in compliance. <laughs> I am a bit. Uh, I started out practicing law at a large LA law firm. And got to the point where they asked if I wanted to be a partner, and I thought, no, no, no. Uh, fortunately, about that same time, the online compliance industry was just starting. The first courses were rolling out. So I moved to compliance training and have been doing that for ooh, more than 20 years now. So I, I've been around literally from when the first courses were launched to where we are today. And I can remember being in the corporate world when those occurred, and it was revolutionary almost uh, back then. But uh, codes of conduct have evolved considerably, and we're going to explore that in the context of uh, what Treliant is doing. But the thing I would ask you to, to tell us about is what the D Deputy Attorney General of the United States, Lisa Monaco, said in a speech last October. And she said that something that I think you and I are very comfortable with, which is culture is a key driver in a corporation. But now the Department of Justice will assess culture as a part of its overall investigation if a company violates uh, the FCPA. And I wanted to ask you, how significant did you feel it was that literally the number two person at the Department of Justice identified culture as a key driver now? Well, you know, it makes sense. As a, as a defense lawyer back when, you always poked around until you saw a difference between what people were saying and what people were doing. And so it makes perfect sense. The most important uh, aspect for a successful compliance program is support from the top. So if I were the Department of Justice, I would certainly be looking to see if what people were saying was reflected in what people were doing. And that means that results then in what the culture becomes. So many codes were initially viewed as aspirational. Uh, I, that actually may be changing legally now a little bit, but I wanted to maybe take that as a starting point because when I took my first uh, code trainings, it was statements about who we are and what we stand for. 
what was the significance of those and how did that help employees really to make good decisions? Well, you know that the uh, companies have sort of struggled with what a good code looks like. And the early codes, um, they were sold as statements about who we are and, and uh, resources that employees could use to make better decisions. But the earliest codes were kind of formalistic and legalistic. And there was a clear disconnect there. They didn't help employees a lot. They didn't really discuss what the company was about. Was about. But as time has gone on, I think companies have done a much better job. And they began to phrase codes of conduct in terms of values and, and uh, sort of what the company stands for so that it restored that connection between the code and the company. Um, they also began to include features and, and language and uh, content that was geared towards employees. So you actually could go to a code and begin to figure out what decision should be made, either because it provided guidance or because it at least put that guidance in the context of values that you could apply to your situation in making a decision. Uh, Scott, as you know, I'm a lawyer, and uh, what I found were many codes were written by lawyers and for lawyers. <laughs> yes. Now, as a lawyer, I was very comfortable with that. And tell me what the rules are, what the, actually what the law is, very comfortable with that. Uh, being told how to follow the law, very comfortable with that. Unfortunately, uh, civilians, as we call them, <laughs> lawyers, uh, don't always view things through the same lens. So I was wondering uh, how you saw codes evolve from really talking to or even at employees to really b being for employees. Well, it was that it was that sort of broader approach. I, I agree with your assessment. I, my, someone once described the code as being like your mother telling you to be happy. It's great advice, but God is in the details. <laughs> and so when, when code said things like we don't discriminate, um, you know, it was putting a stake in the ground. But when you begin to talk about we don't discriminate because we value respect, because we want people to make their biggest contribution, you know, when you, when you put it in the bigger context, it begins to make sense to employees. It isn't just a rule. Don't touch the stove. Um, it also becomes something that they can then begin to apply because the situation before a particular employee may not be exactly covered in the code. But if you understand the values that are motivating what is in the code, you can look at what you've got before you and say, OK, at very least, I need some help on this. Um, and now codes are, you know, the language has changed dramatically so that it really does consider the audience. It's much more engaging. Um, and many of the best codes, I think, have sort of these FAQs where they're question and answer format, either the questions that employees always ask or the, the areas where employees always stub their toes and get into trouble. So that it's sort of bait that brings them in saying, hey, you could get an answer here. Um, and then hopefully also provide some guidance. So they become broader and deeper, I think, than just that initial rules-based approach, don't touch the stove. Scott, I wanted to have that discussion with you about the evolution of codes because that takes us to our next topic, which is the evolution around training on codes and how that shift has uh, ha has occurred and indeed why it's occurred. So could you give some thoughts on um, the shift in training uh, on codes, why the early training may have missed the mark, but more importantly, sort of where we are now and how much more dynamic it is? Well, you know, I, I think in some ways it, it sort of, it follows and doesn't follow the evolution of the code. Um, in some ways, I think a lot of code training today is kind of stuck. 
you know, the, the development of the code took an arc towards something that's more meaningful, more relatable, more helpful. And I think code training isn't quite there yet. Uh, it still feels a little bit more uh, formalistic, I would say. Um, you know, there's nothing in the federal sentencing guidelines or the federal acquisition regulations or the exchange rules or Sarbanes-Oxley or anything else that motivates companies to have codes and eventually to train on them. There's nothing in those things that tell you what the training should look like. Um, as an industry, we kind of coalesced around this idea that the training should be modular so that you can train on various topics within your code. Um, but it's still, it got stuck. The typical code course has one module that says, what is a code? And then it's just followed by summaries of law. And if you take out that first module and you took the course, you wouldn't say, well, this is on code of conduct. You'd say, oh, this is summary of law. Um, so we're kind of stuck that way. And um, I think it leaves employees in the same place they were before. You know, With the bad codes, what you remembered as an employee was, I have to sign something that says I read it, even though I didn't. I have to sign something that says I'll follow it, even though I don't know how. And I think with code training, too often employees take it because they have to and they say, OK, well, that's done. But it doesn't really speak to those things. It, it, it somehow has lost the connection between the training in the company and the training in the employee. So there's there's room for improvement for sure. And that improvement is really what I'd like to focus on now, which is why Treliant code training is different. Uh, you, you spoke about some of the problems. What have you been part of this development team solution around? Well, you know, we, we sort of wanted to throw away the book, but didn't throw it away all the way. I mean, there are some things about code training that are very good. This modular idea, I think, is a good one. So when we started thinking about training, we wanted to restore the connection with the company. We wanted to restore the connection with the employee. And we wanted to create something so that if you took one of those modules alone in isolation, you would not only learn about the topic, but you'd also understand this is one piece of a bigger code of conduct training course. It wouldn't just seem like a summary of law. Um, and so in terms of how we approach the content, we approach it in terms of teaching the code. Uh, every module, for instance, begins with a statement like, our code tells us we don't discriminate. And then we try to translate that into practical things um, that are being done around this values that it reflects. Uh, we're going to use language that's accessible to everybody, and we're going to include some of those FAQs um, so that there's specific guidance. It, it, we, what we wanted to do really was to have someone read a section in the code, take our training on that topic, and sort of understand the connection. We want to train them on the topic, but we want them to see, oh, the training is a deeper dive, but they're kind of connected. So that's it's a it's a tall order, and we'll continue to sort of push the boundaries, but we'll have a new course coming out that we hope gets us closer to that goal. I've had the opportunity to view uh, the Treliant Code of Conduct, and one of the strategies you used, which really intrigued me, or a couple, is you would have uh, tweets so that an employee sent a tweet in, and the, the tweet would be answered. Uh, an email would come in, the email would be answered. Or perhaps my favorite, you called it investigative reports. <laughs> Get a reporter, talk about a short issue and tell a story. Why do all of those engage people like me to all the way down to employees who actually view the training as well? People love stories. When I used to give live training as a lawyer, I always had to cover the law before the donuts ran out. And then after the donuts ran out, I would shift to stories, to war stories about people doing things. 
So people love to hear stories. They love to see them. And people have questions. When you train in person, employees always have questions. They aren't just sitting there. They may not be questions on all the things you want to talk about, but they have questions. Um, and so in this upcoming version, we've actually taken that one step further. We're going to provide training on the substantive areas, but that training is introduced by video characters who ask questions, just like you were in a room asking or presenting the code to a, to a group. And those questions then become the jump off point. Um, and so I, I think it's sort of part and parcel of the way humans are, are uh, wired. They want to hear what the next guy thinks uh, or hear the question that they wish they would have asked, asked by someone else. The um, one thing I've tried to emphasize to CCOs and compliance professionals is every time you have a touch point with your employees, you're selling compliance, whether that's over a cup of coffee, whether it's over live and in-person training, whether that's over someone calling in with a question. And it's also around training um, with uh, a vendor's uh, collaborative training tool, such as Treliant. Uh, do you find that to, to be a fair assessment? And is that a message you think compliance professionals understand? Every touch point counts? No, I mean, I, th I think people underestimate the importance of that. Um, you know, in today's competitive environment, the most expensive part of these compliance programs is not the money that's spent with a company like Treliant. It's the value of the time your employees are spending in the training. And so you've got to sort of have a cost benefit analysis. Are you getting the best and the most out of that touch, that investment? Um, and, you know, the message you send is, is very clear to the employee. If it's kind of baloney, phony training, they get it and they will do what you've asked them to do and then they'll go on to their next task. In code, for instance, you don't want someone to take the code course and say, OK, I'm good till next year. You want them to say, oh, OK, now I get it. I kind of get what the code is. I get what why it's important and I get what I should be doing. So I, I think every every touch point matters. And, and the ones we don't often don't think about, you know, in training programs, one of the most effective ones I saw, uh, the CEO simply sent out emails to his direct reports saying, hey, Scott, thanks for having your group finish the training. Everyone finished the training because, yes, he was checking on the, the progress of the training, but he was also quietly communicating that this is important. And so if, if you take that idea and expand it, then every time you, you work with employees, you engage them, you send them a message about whether something's important and why it's important. Scott, I think it's a well-known fact, maxim in the design world that form follows function. Um, what intrigues me about that in our world of compliance is the regulators often will follow what is happening in practice. And what I would cite you to is the June 2020 release of the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, the uh, update, rather, to the evaluation. The original evaluation was released in April 2019. But in the update, the DOJ, for the first time, specified short-focused training. And so I wanted to, to maybe use that as a way to introduce the, the topic of length, because you touched on that a little bit and was wondering what you are seeing and what client sees as effectiveness in terms of length. And I should probably throw in the first time I had code of conduct training, I'll never forget, it was three hours. Oh. And uh, so um, uh, so what is what do you see as effective in terms of length and how are you incorporating that part of um, a necessary training 
uh, component into the modules that Trelike creates. <laughs> You're right. You know, I always say that that no good comes out of a two-hour meeting because by the, the time the meeting has gone two hours, you'll agree to anything just to get out of the room. And I think that's true with training as well. Um, and there's always tension because we hear consistently from clients that they want shorter training, um, but they also want in-depth training. And it's difficult to make that that um, that trade-off. I think the, the key is to understand what's important. Like what is the core message that you're trying to get apart or get across for lawyers like you and me, we like the details, we live there. Um, and details are often important in providing context and guidance. But I think that the key to having shorter training is to understand what's important and what you want the takeaway to be. It's where we start and finish our stuff. In code, for example, if you have longer modules, it means you cover fewer topics. Um, in other topics, uh, other subjects, it means that the longer the training, the more likely the learner is going to tune out. So we try to start with what's important, what's the takeaway, and then fill in the things that will bring that to life. Um, it doesn't mean that we cover every legal detail or that everything is quoted, um, you know, every T crossed and every I dotted. But we're, we always try to remember who we're training. We're not training lawyers. We're not training judges. We're training employees. So we want to help them understand the context of the issue, what they can do, always a focus on what they can do. And with the idea that if they get out in the real world, they'll be able to at least spot the danger and ask for questions. Scott, unfortunately, we are near the time, uh, end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if anyone wanted more information on the Treliant Code of Conduct, where could they find it? Uh, easiest way is probably to go to our website, treliant.com. Um, there are plenty of opportunities to reach out there for uh, contact and answers to your questions. Scott, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Very good. Thanks very much. This is Tom Fox. Reliant has a great number of resources on their website and information on how you can improve your online training experience. You can check it all out at Treliant.com. I hope you'll join me again for another episode of The New Treliant. This special five-part podcast series sponsored by Treliant is a production of the Compliance Podcast.